We're getting back into the book of Colossians, so I'll go ahead and give you a heads up there. Um, We'll wrap this up this week and next week. And we're going to look at a passage that I intended to preach last week, but things don't always work out the way you plan. But if you do have your Bibles, you can go ahead and look there in Colossians chapter 3. We'll begin reading in verse 18 here in just a moment. But if we get a running start, in in other words, if we can remember a couple of weeks back, one of the things that we want to remember about this book of Colossians is that Paul is talking about who we are in Christ. And the reason that's important is it's not just an individual thing. It is an individual thing. That is, we become a new creation in Christ Jesus, and that changes everything on the inside. It changes our standing. We're no longer uh, enemies of God. We're friends of God. We're, we're children of God. And that we sang, we celebrated that this morning in song. And, and that's a huge transition. When we become believers, we, we're moved from death into life. We're moved from darkness into light. It's, a, it's huge. It's a major switch from who we were to who we are in Christ. Now, obviously, we deal with a lot of residual stuff from our old lives, and we're continuing to do that. Many of you have been dealing with that for year after year after year. We will continue to do that. Uh, It is part of the struggle with that, you know, humanity that we have. But we are in Christ, and that identity helps shape the way we think of ourselves and the way we relate to other people. Because so much of what Paul is doing here in Colossians is he's trying to help these believers understand what it means to be in relationship to Christ, therefore to be in relationship with other people who are in Christ. In other words, what it means to be a part of the church. And we talked about Paul's desire, um, Paul's craving that the church experience unity and harmony. That is a, a togetherness, a oneness that we are to have. And so much of the New Testament, if you go back and you look, at there, I mean, there's over a hundred one another references or each other references in the New Testament that help us to understand how we are to relate to one another in this new kingdom and as this new person in Jesus Christ. And so when Paul's dealing with that here, what he's recognizing is when we choose to live in Christ and when we choose to live in relationship with others who are also in Christ, what is reflected in that is harmony. But we have a little bit of a problem And the problem is that um, we can be selfish. We can be self-centered and we can be self-absorbed. And we live in a culture that teaches us to do that. As a matter of fact, you know, one of the things that that we, we know from Scripture is that we're not to be conformed to the pattern of the world. And whenever I see that, I always go back and think about cookie cutters and how those cookie cutters, you, you roll out the dough and you, you do the cookies and, and all the cookies are going to look the same because they're all pressed out in the same mold. And you're, you live in a world that's attempting to do that with you in sometimes overt and in sometimes very subtle ways. It's trying to press you into that mold, trying to tell you what's important, what you should value, what you should think about yourself what you should think about other people, how you should respond to other people. 
I went to visit my mother for a few days. Uh, thank you for those of you who've asked about her. She's, she's doing pretty well. And um, uh, it's a little difficult. I've never had this situation. Uh, but, uh, you know, she's, she's now uh, been over, a little over a year since she, I lost my stepfather. And there's not a lot that goes on in her life. She, she's not surrounded by a world of friends like many of you are. And, and therefore, there's, she's got a lot of time. And so she ends up filling that time. Sometimes she's filling it with good things and reading scripture and, you know, connecting with church and various things like that. And, but a lot of that time's filled with, with what you and I might just think is kind of mindless stuff. And, you know, the TV's running and things like that. And, and so I, I had an opportunity. We don't watch a lot of just regular TV. Um, it's not that I'm sitting there watching Christian channels all the time. I, I love to watch sports and, you know, we watch some Olympics and, but we're, we're probably selective in that, where we, we try not to watch just anything and everything that's on. Um, I had my first encounter on Friday night watching the show Big Brother. Now, I've never seen it before. Some of you may have seen it. Some of you may be your favorite show. I don't know, and I'm not here to, to criticize you, but I've never seen this. And my mother said, well, this is Celebrity Big Brother. And I think what she was trying to do is say, okay, maybe you'll like it better if there are people you recognize. There was only a couple of people on there I recognized anyway. So I sat there with her, and, and, and this Big Brother show goes on. And basically, it is just kind of a cutthroat kind of thing. It's every man or woman for him or herself and and they, they'll, they'll tell one person one thing and another person, they're trying to build alliances, but they're really, they're really after something for themselves. And I don't even know what the prize is. Um, you know, it's just more celebrity. I have no idea. Maybe there's money at the other end of it. Maybe there's Hawaiian Vegas. I don't know what the other end of it, but these people are really, really hard at trying to undermine and undercut and outdo and, and, and backbiting and all this other stuff. And here's what came, went through my mind when I watched that. A Christian wouldn't stand a chance on this show. Not someone who took the word of God and they're standing in Christ seriously. Because we're not called to live like that. We're not called to try to undermine and undercut everybody that we, we have around us. We're, we're not called to, to climb uh, to do whatever it takes, you know, the ends justify the means in order to get the top of the hill, to, to make fake alliances with people so that we can just get a little a bit ahead, but we have no problem turning our backs and, and shunning them at some other point in the show or in our lives. And I thought, man, wouldn't it be refreshing just to see one person who took the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them to do unto you, wouldn't it be refreshing just to see that happen just one time? It would also be refreshing in the world. For the world that has this image of what it means to succeed, what it means to be happy, what it means to be successful. For the world to be able to look at the church and say, you know something, I see something different in those people who carry the name of Jesus. I see something different in them other than where they are on Sunday morning. I also see something in them on Monday and on Wednesday and on Friday. And so I see something different in them. They're not living like the rest of the world lives. They're not doing what the rest of the world does. They don't have the same pattern. 
They don't have the same values. They're different. In 1 Peter 2.9, I think it is, in the King James Version, it says that we are a peculiar people. Now, that's about the only translation that uses peculiar because we think of peculiar. You know, if, if, if you went to the refrigerator and you opened it up and popped open one of those Tupperware lids or, a, you know, crunchy crock lid, because you never, you, you never know what's in a country crock container in your refrigerator, you crack that open and, 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 and your spouse asks you, hey, what, what does that look like? And if you said, well, it looks peculiar, they tell you to throw it out. Because we think peculiar is a bad thing. But basically what that verse means is peculiar, that means that we are selected by God. We are peculiar in the sense that we're not like everything else and everybody else. That we act in a way that's different from the world. And that's true or it ought to be true when it comes to the church. But Paul, now we're going to shift our attention. Paul says it also ought to be true when it comes to your family. In other words, there's a way that the world says families ought to run. And every culture has kind of their own patterns. And we have one here when I go to India. Their pattern for what family life ought to look like is a little different than what it looks like here. And, And if we were to be transported in time back to the time of Paul, that aspect of what family life looked like would be a lot different than what we think of family life today. And therefore, we could just go along with the culture and say, whatever the culture says, whatever society says, whatever the norm is, we'll do that. But what we're called to is something higher and and honestly something better. And so what I want to do this morning, instead of just kind of sticking with my notes, is I, I wanted to kind of talk through this scripture a little bit with us so that we can maybe get a little bit better grasp of it. And so if you've got your Bibles, we're here in, in Colossians chapter 3, and, and we look at verse 18, and, and what we read there is, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Now at this point, there's some husband elbowing his wife saying, I told you we should have come this morning. Good to be here. And then it goes on in verse 19 to say, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, we could go and we could talk about, I think, um, um, a lot of the, the cultural stuff that was going on back then and, and what family life looked like. And that's, that's not all bad, and, and that's probably a good thing to do. But I want us to read this, when we read it, I want us to understand a few things. And a principle that you need to understand is, that it talks about, we, we've talked about wives and husbands, and, and we've talked about, uh, and we'll talk about children and parents, and we'll talk about it in a minute, but there's an instruction or a call to a certain group of Christian wives or Christian husbands or Christian children or Christian fathers, and we need to listen to that call that God has for us, because here's our temptation our temptation is to read this differently. Our temptation is to read it to say, husbands, make your wives submit to you. Now you go, oh, I'd never read it like that. 
And yet that's, we do that because we fall back into that self-centered mode. When, when women read it and they go, well, what it means here is I have got to do something to make my husband love me. Now, let me go ahead and tell you, if you've got a relationship where the husband feels like he's got to make his wife submit and the wife feels like she's got to make her husband love her, you have the recipe for disaster on a massive scale. This does not create harmony. This does not create unity. This doesn't say anything positive to the, commu- the, the culture around us, to society around us. That's not what it's saying. As a matter of fact, husbands, plug your ears, Paul says. Let me talk to the wives right now. This is, this is the calling that God's word has on your life. Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So sometimes we read it and we go, okay, this means that women are to submit to men. And the verse never says that. This is not a generic comment about men and women. This has nothing to do with equality. It has nothing to do with our standing before God. Nothing at all. In Christ, there there is no male and female. We are all equal in standing before God, equal in value and worth before God. So, So this has nothing to do with that. What this is saying is, wives, put yourself under the leadership of your husband. And the word, in fact, submit here, which sounds so bad in our culture today, the word literally is a military term, which means that you're under the command of another, that you are to place yourselves under the leadership of another. Now, hang on to that, because husbands don't get off. They're called to love their wives. They're called to love their wives. And this word, of course, love here is agape, and not to be harsh with them. This actual aspect of being harsh probably does reflect the culture in which Paul was writing, where women were considered to be very much, very little more than property, and a husband could leave his wife, just abandon her, and she'd have no recourse. A husband could beat his wife. A husband could cheat on his wife. The woman had absolutely no recourse. And what Paul says here is, and what God's saying through Paul is, husbands, you need to love your wives with this agape kind of love, this love that is not self-centered. What does that mean? That means as a husband, my responsibility is to place the needs of my wife ahead of my own needs. Guys, hear this. I am to look after and care for my wife, even if it means my desires and my needs are set aside for her benefit. Now, let me ask you a question. And, and I'm, I'm not a woman and I'm not a wife, so I, I'm, I, it's hard for me. I can't answer it from that perspective. But if you wives had a husband who loved you like that, 
a husband that you knew beyond any doubt had your best interests at heart. A husband who was not harsh, but caring and loving and, and, and sought to meet your needs. Would it be easier to follow a guy like that? I think it would. Because you would be trusting that he is leading in a way that is consistent with where God would want you to go. Here's where it gets really, really hard. And that is when, and again, some of you are in this situation and uh, I'm, I'm not telling you to leave your spouse at all. I'm just telling you it makes it a lot more difficult. Some of the decisions you need to make up front, some of you are in marriages that are unequally yoked. That is, you're a believer and your spouse is not a believer. And trying to function like this is really, really hard. It makes it excruciatingly difficult for a wife to submit to the leadership of a husband who is not under the leadership of Jesus. And it makes it really, really hard for a husband to love his wife in this way, and as Christ loved the church, when the wife doesn't share the same passion for Christ that he shares and is, is constantly pushing at the bounds. It makes it really, really difficult. And so here's what I'm trying to tell you in this passage. Husbands, listen to what God says to you. And you do that. And, and you trust that the Lord's going to help your wife to, to, to do what he's called her to do. And wives, you read what, what, what God says to you, and you do that. And, and then you pray for your husband. Now, why would, when you, especially if you had an unequally yoked relationship, why should a wife still, as long as it does not call her, cause her to, uh, to, to, you know, walk away from the faith or do anything illegal or immoral or unethical or against the Christian faith, why should a wife still seek to follow the leader of her husband, even if her husband isn't a godly leader? And why should a husband love his wife as, as, as Paul tells us in Ephesians, as Christ loved the church? Uh, why should a husband love his wife in that way, even when she doesn't have the same relationship with Jesus and, and may not, uh, may not, may be really, really pushing the bounds all the time. And, and here, I believe, is what Paul would say, because remember, Paul's primary thing here is that we live our lives in such a way as to bring glory to God and to bring people to Jesus. Therefore, we're not doing it based on how our husband or how our wife responds. We're doing what God called us to do for his glory and in the hope that our spouse will come to know Jesus. We've seen, and you know, testimonies. I'm thinking of one in particular where a wife prayed and prayed and prayed and she tried to live that kind of way under her husband's leadership even though her husband wasn't a believer and but she continued to pray and continued to pray and continued to pray until one day he did come to know Jesus Christ that's a beautiful story we celebrate those victories but some of you know stories on the other side where that husband or that wife never came to know Jesus Christ and they continue to live their lives that way 
You and I are called to sacrifice for Jesus Christ. And sometimes it brings it into our relationships. It brings it into our homes. It brings it into our marriages. And we have to sacrifice in order, in the hope that how we live before them will shine a light so that they can come to know Jesus. So when you read these passages, please don't think this is about husbands beating down your wives. This is about wives, you trying to make your husbands love you. This is not what that passage is about. When it, when it says husbands, if you're a husband, that's your verse. When it says wives, if you're a wife, that's your verse. So you read yours and you do yours under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And then you pray on the other side. But it goes on because it also talks about children and parents. And, and some of you parents don't want me to leave without reading this portion. Because it says in verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Parents, do you want me to read that again? Will that help? Okay. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And then it goes to fathers who were, the, it was a patriarchal system, so the father was certainly the leader, but I think we can't extrapolate here. There's certainly mothers need to listen to this as well. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And so now we're talking about a different relationship. We're talking about the children and parent relationship. And this is not easy because as children get older, they begin to develop their own personalities and they begin to develop a thing called independence. And they're constantly pushing, trying to find out where the lines are. And in order, the only way they can find out where those lines are is to step over them. That's, that's just the way life is. I mean, you've all experienced it. But again, Paul is talking about harmony and unity and a witness to the world. And so when it says Children, oh, but I'm going to look over here because I got a, I got a gathering of young teenagers over here. Okay. When it says children, obey your parents. What it means is children, obey your parents, even if you don't feel like they deserve it. Because you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for Jesus. So if you have a hard time taking out the trash for mama, take out the trash for Jesus. I mean, honestly, most of us would think a little differently if Jesus said, hey, would you mind taking out the trash? How many of us would go, no, nah, I don't think so. Jesus, you do it yourself. Uh, or I'll, 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 do it, I'll do it later. I'll do it. Let me finish playing my game, Jesus, and then I'll do it. Let me finish watching this show, then I'll do it. See, most of us, we go, oh, no, we'd never. If Jesus asked me to take out the trash, I, I'd, I'd take out the trash. And so what Paul is trying to help us understand is we're not just doing this for our parents. We're doing it because we have submitted ourselves to Christ because the Bible tells us to honor and obey our parents. And therefore, we're going to do it for Jesus, even if our parents are ticking us off. Even if our parents are being completely unreasonable, we're going to do it for them. Now, you flip the coin because Paul didn't let anybody off. And he says, fathers... Listen, here's, here's what I want you to do, fathers. Fathers, don't provoke your children. What does that mean? Provoke. Oh, man, we don't even have these anymore. Uh, how many of you have top-loading washing machines? 
where the stuff goes in the top. Teenagers, you don't even know what your washing machine looks like, do you? Okay. All right. In it. And, and this has changed a lot because now they've taken the thing out of the middle. The thing in the middle of a washing machine was called an agitator. And the whole purpose was it sit there and it went flunk, 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 flunk. And it threw the clothes around and it stirred the water up, stirred the soap up and, and got the mess out of the, the dirt out of the clothes. That's, it's an agitator. Okay, this is the image. Fathers, don't be an agitator to your children. Oh, man. Fathers, don't constantly stir your children up to bitterness. Don't ride them. Don't, don't stay on their backs all the time. Don't, don't run them down. Don't, 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 don't keep things churned up in their lives. Parents, your responsibility is to lead your children the way Jesus wants you to lead them. Just like you want your children to obey you the way they would obey Jesus. And so, it's a change of thinking. Because if you do that, the warning is that they could lose heart. Now, that, that doesn't mean that children don't need discipline and structure. Children need that. They, they need it. They need it all the way up till, you know, all the way through high school. They, they need those bounds. They need those disciplines. They need, they need those rules in their lives, whether even when they push against them, they still need them. But I think this, back to so many of these incidents that we hear about of children in schools, in their behavior issues, and especially when it comes to things like we recently witnessed uh, with this school shooting and other school shootings. And I have to wonder... Suppose there had been a, a, a mom and a dad in that child's life who took raising children as, as a calling from God and that they, they actually sought to raise their children to come to know who Jesus was and how we are to treat one another because of who we are in Christ, who led their kids to know Jesus Parents don't settle for, and grandparents don't settle for raising a a generation of good people. Because that good is based on the world's standard of goodness, on the culture's standard of goodness. Raise your children to be godly young men and godly young women. You know what's going to happen? When you do that, they're going to be teased, and they're going to be abused, abused, and they're going to be mocked, and they're going to be maligned because they don't fit with the system but what you have to show them by how you live is that even if the system runs them down for their faith it's still worth it to stand it's still worth it now we don't have a lot of time to deal with the the remainder of the passage which deals with um, but I'm going to go ahead and read it to you anyway, because I think it's important if you pick up here in, in verse 22, it says slaves, which uh, in some translations may be bond servants and others, it may be servants. Slaves obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. In other words, don't just do it when they're watching, 
obey them even when they're not watching, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, understand the Lord's watching you. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive your inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. And then he says, Masters, verse chapter 4, verse 1, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, when we read this, our first thing is, why didn't Paul just say, Masters, let all your slaves go? Because that's what I would have preferred he'd written. The reason is, in this culture, when I think there's a couple of reasons, in this culture, that would have gone over like a lead balloon. No, nobody's going to listen to that. I mean, you may have a few Christian masters. He is not going to have a long-term impact by telling masters, let your slaves go. But here's what he did. He set into motion a subversive kingdom principle. Because a little bit later, um, and this is probably the basis of what Paul writes then to a guy named Philemon that's a little bit further up in your New Testament, which is a little, little one-chapter book about a slave named Onesimus who escaped from his master Philemon and who went and ended up with the apostle Paul, probably in Rome, and Paul led him to Jesus. And then instead of writing and saying, hey, listen, this guy's become a Christian, you need to free him. Paul says, Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon with a letter. And that's what the letter of Philemon is. You may want to read that this afternoon. He sent it back, and he basically says, listen, I could tell you to let him go. I could tell you that under my authority. I could tell you that. But instead, I ask that you receive him back as a brother. And what Paul said in the motion there took a long time to come into fruition, but it undermined this idea that one person can own another by saying that in Christ we are brothers. Don't receive him back as a slave. Receive him back as a brother. Now, what we've read here this morning in these few verses, what we've read is Paul speaking into a culture and saying to that culture, you don't have to live like this. Because in Christ, you're different. And every relationship should be different. And here's what I want to ask you to do as a people of God. I want to ask you to begin to look into your life right now and ask yourself, are my relationships with other people different because I'm in Christ? And if they're not, why not? Have I not brought that relationship under the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Have I not brought my marriage under the under the lordship of jesus christ have i not brought my parenting underneath the lord jesus christ have i not brought my my job situation my friends my recreational life have i not brought that under the lordship of jesus christ and if not why not 
There should be no realm of your life, no area of your life, no corner of your life that is untouched by your relationship with Christ. And our hearts need to be the same as the heart of Paul. I'm going to live not because the world tells me how to live, not because the world pushes me into this mold, not because this is what I selfishly want to do. I'm going to live in such a way that like the Apostle Paul, I can, I can glorify God with my life, but I can also live in such a way that brings other people to Jesus. That when they look at me, they recognize there's something peculiar about that person, and it's not their body odor. There's something peculiar about them because of the way they talk, because of the way they live, because of the way they act, because of the way they forgive, because of the way they love, because of the generosity of their heart. There's something different about that person. And that should open up doors for you and I to give the reason for the hope that we have within us. There's so much more we could have said about this, but I just want to encourage you that the biggest thing I want you to see here is that when we are in Christ, everything changes. And when we're in Christ, God can give us a new family. Well, let's pray. Father, I I want to thank you so much for this word. And, And we barely scraped the surface this morning. We know you have so much to say to us individually, but... Lord, we want to just take the little that we know and we want to begin to put that into practice. There's so much we don't know. There's so much that remains a mystery to us. But Lord, we know what you've called us to to be like, who you've called us to be. And we ask that you would strengthen us by your Holy Spirit in order to live that way. Lord, we are tired of being conformed to the pattern of this world. And we want to open ourselves up to being transformed as you renew our mind daily. As you change our heart and as you change our mind, Lord, let our lives fall into line with that. And Lord, I want to pray for those this morning who need that relationship with Jesus, who need to know what it is to be in Christ. That, Father, somehow you could draw that man, draw that woman, draw that young person to yourself so that they could want something different than what they have right now. They could want that new life in Christ, a new beginning in Christ. Lord, I pray for those who need a church family around them to encourage them and strengthen them and hold them accountable. Father, I pray that if you're calling someone to be a part of the life of this church family, Lord, that you just bring them forward and let them stand up today and say, hey, this is where I belong. Lord, if there are those that you've spoken to on a a really deep level today and you brought some conviction into their hearts and they need to do business with you. Lord, I pray that this might be a time of prayer, a time of submitting to you, a time of moving that area that's we've kind of kept in reserve under the Lordship of our Savior Jesus. Lord, whatever it is you call us to do this morning, we're ready to respond. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.